Let's open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We're recording this because it's going to accompany the, uh, the article that I wrote on speaking in tongues as well. So I'm going to be moving kind of quickly here today, but let's do our best to pay attention. I'm going to be answering some objections to speaking in tongues. I'm going to be describing it, and we're going to have a good time. So the first thing I want to do is tell you what speaking in tongues is. Then I want to give you the purpose of speaking in tongues and the continuation of speaking in tongues. This is all under point one. If those of you here are following around uh, on your, uh, your iPods and different things, iPhones, you can go right to the blog, metropraise.org, hit on the blog, then find this PDF, and you'll be looking at exactly what I'm looking at right now. So go to the blog, and then uh, hit down the PDF, and you'll be looking at it. So point one is going to be the description, purpose, and continuation of speaking in tongues. Okay, so now let's talk about those things under point one. The description of speaking in tongues. I told you guys to start in Acts 2, but uh, actually we're going to start in Mark. The first, thing, uh, the first time you hear uh, the Bible mentioning speaking in tongues, it's in Mark chapter 16. It's from the words of Jesus. And Jesus said, These signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. Anytime you see the word tongues, it's simply the Greek word uh, glossolalia. Uh, and it just means languages. That's all the Greek gives us. So there's not going to be a lot of uh, description here in the Greek. It just simply means languages. As we're going to look at later, it can mean heavenly languages or earthly languages or uh Sometimes both, I guess. So the first description that we see of speaking in tongues is that it is uh, grouped together with signs. Everybody say signs. So we see that it's called a sign. So a description of speaking in tongues, uh, according to Mark 16, it's a language and it's a sign. Now going to Acts chapter 2, Jesus had already told them in uh, Acts 1 verse 8 that they would receive power when the Holy Ghost came upon them. And I'm just going to move down because that heat's blowing on me really hot right there. It's going to move down right here. He said that the Holy Spirit would come upon them and they would receive power. So now when you look at Acts 2 verse 1, what happens uh, when the Holy Spirit comes? It says that they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance or as it enabled them. And then the crowd, when they heard this sound, came gathered together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. So here you see there's two specific things that we know that happen is that tongues is the sign, like Jesus said, uh, it's a sign. But now specifically in Acts 1, it's the sign of receiving the Holy Spirit. So understand this. It's a sign. In Mark 16, but in Acts 2, it's the sign of receiving the Holy Spirit. What happened the moment they received the Holy Spirit? They spoke in tongues, right? The second thing is that you know that their languages. Now, in this inference situation, the languages are known to the hearers, okay? They're known to the hearers. But because of some of the things that we're going to get into later, we're not going to classify that every time tongues is spoken, the language is known to the hearers. We're not going to say that. We're just going to give the description right now. So Mark 16 says it's a sign. Acts 2 says it's also a sign, but now specifically it's a sign to receiving the Holy Spirit. And then it's spoken languages. And the most important thing is here, the languages are unknown to the one speaking the language. Does everybody understand that? 
So the one who's speaking the language, as the disciples were, it's unknown to them. I'm going to have to kick down this seat. Now let's go to the next inference that we see in the book of Acts. Go to Acts chapter 10. This is in Cornelius' house. <clears throat> this is called the Roman Pentecost. Thank you, sir. The Jewish Pentecost was uh, in Acts 2 for the Jewish people in Jerusalem. Now you have the Roman Pentecost, which is for the Roman people in Acts 10. Now this is very interesting because uh, look at uh, verses 44 and 46. It says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come were astonished, who had come with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. So now, what is the description of speaking in tongues according to Acts 10? Well, once again, it's a sign to receiving the Holy Spirit. Now, I forgot to go through these different words, and we're going to go, go through them again. But what are the different terms for the gift of the Holy Spirit, receiving the Holy Spirit? Here, here it is. Acts 1a, it says, uh, the promise of the Father. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Don't leave Jerusalem until the gift my Father has promised comes. So the, the gift of the Father. Does everybody remember that? In Acts chapter 2, it says uh, they were filled with the Holy Ghost. So the promise of the Father is the same thing as being filled with the Holy Ghost. Now in Acts chapter 10, what is it called? The gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift. You get that? It's all the same thing. Promise of the Father, being filled with the Holy Spirit, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then you're going to see in the next passage, baptized in the Holy Spirit. They're all the same thing. Okay, so Acts 10, how does it describe it? It is the sign that they received the Holy Spirit because the people with Peter said, we know they received the Holy Spirit. They should be water baptized now because we spoke in tongues when we got it and they received it just like us because we hear them speaking in tongues. So what is it? It's a sign again of receiving the Holy Spirit. Does everybody see that? And then second, it's languages that are spoken unknown to the speaker. Now, why did I say in Acts chapter 2 that we're not going to say always it's a known language? Because now in Acts 10, it doesn't say it's a known language. It doesn't say it's a known language. Nobody is there to say we understand it. And some people like to now say, well, if it was given the same way as in Acts chapter 2, then that presupposes that it was a known language because in Acts chapter 2 it was a known language. And I'm going to tell you why that can't work. In just a moment, but we're not going to get into that right now. So the description is, we see moving on down from Jesus, Mark 16, it's a sign. Then in Acts chapter 2, we see it's a sign to receiving the Holy Spirit, a little more description. And then we see it's an unknown language being spoken. The next one in Acts chapter 10, we see it's a sign called the gift of the Holy Spirit. And what happens? They speak in other tongues. Now, keep going. In Acts 19, this is called the Ephesian Pentecost because this happens with the disciples of John who are uh, from Ephesus. And not to get into whether or not these disciples were saved because they were John's disciples. Some people think they were not saved. I happen to believe they were already saved because they are called disciples in the same way that we are called disciples. 
Not just John's disciples, but they are also called disciples. And I'll get to that in just a moment. Well, matter of fact, I won't get into that because we don't have time. But it doesn't matter whether they were from the old covenant as John's disciples or whether they had been saved through Jesus' preaching but just yet hadn't been baptized in Jesus' name. Because think about it, if they had been saved during the time of Jesus going through Galilee and they were one of John's disciples and then went off to Ephesus, they wouldn't have known now that Jesus had given a new baptismal formula and they wouldn't have known about speaking in tongues because they wouldn't have been around to hear those messages. So that's my understanding. But we just don't have time for that. So look what happens when, they, when Paul prays for them. Looking at Acts 19.6, when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Now, in this passage, he says that Jesus promised to baptize in fire, to be baptized in fire. So here's now where we get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So you see all of those terms now playing together. In Acts 1, it's the promise of the Father. In Acts 2, it's being filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts 10, it's the gift of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 19, it's being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Are you guys with me? All of those are speaking about the same process of what, what we as Pentecostals refer to as speaking in tongues. All the same. All of it is the same. Now, what, what is tongues described as here? Tongues is described as the sign to receiving that. Were you baptized in the Spirit? No, we didn't even know there was a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay, well, let's get you baptized in the Spirit now. What do they do? They speak in tongues. Acts chapter 10. While Peter is speaking, they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Can we forbid them water baptism now? No. Why? Because they received the Holy Spirit just like we did. Because we heard them speaking in other tongues. So every time in the Bible, people are being given the promise of the Father, the filling of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, every time, what are they doing? Speaking in tongues. So that goes back to what Jesus said in Mark 16. It's a sign. For those who believe, they're going to speak in tongues. So how do they speak in tongues? When they receive the Holy Spirit. It's not complicated. It's not, it's not tricks through the Bible. It's very simple. It's a description of what happens. And then lastly in this passage, what is it? Unknown languages. Now, does anybody here in this passage say we understand them? No. So is it right to say that every time we hear tongues being spoken, it's a known language? No. Just because it happened in Acts 2 doesn't mean it's going to happen all the time. And now to clarify that, go to the next passage. It's 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Obviously too much for us to read. So I summarize it, and you can kind of follow along here. In verse 10, speaking in tongues and the interpretation of tongues are spiritual gifts, not natural talents. So that's the first thing that you see is that these types of tongues cannot be learned languages. So if you speak in Spanish because you have learned Spanish, you do not have the gift of tongues. And people have said that. You don't. This is a gift to those who do not know that language. So for you who speak Spanish, this would be you speaking in Greek if you were going to keep known languages as something in your mind. That would be what you would be doing. But as we're about ready to see, it's not always known languages. Let's keep going. Part number B, speaking in tongues is considered a spiritual gift that is available to all God's people. Verse 12, 11. All spiritual gifts, including speaking in tongues, are never said to have an end in the church age, but always rather are to be desired. 14.1. Paul spoke in tongues even more than the Corinthians. 
Speaking in tongues is considered a sign, 14.22. And half speaking in tongues is not to be forbidden. So here you see all these descriptions of speaking in tongues. And you understand that speaking in tongues is, once again, it's a sign. But here you know it's for everybody. And also what you learn is it's a spiritual gift, not only the ability to speak in tongues, but the ability to interpret the tongues. Does that make sense? To interpret the tongues. So this now could not be applying to Acts chapter 2. Because Acts chapter 2, the tongues that they spoke, the people heard. There was no need of a spiritual gift. So we see now that there's going to be certain types of tongues. There's going to be different types of tongues spoken. And we can already see that pattern developing throughout the book of Acts. That there's tongues that people understand and then there's tongues that people don't understand. Or that there is no message given from it. But we don't have time to get into that. So to summarize, what do we learn about the description of speaking in tongues? From Mark to Acts 2. Acts 10, Acts 19, and 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. What do we hear? We hear these two things resound over and over and over again. It is a sign to receiving the Holy Spirit. And number two, it is speaking in unknown languages. Does everybody get that? That's what you see over and over again. We know they got it because they spoke in tongues. We spoke in tongues. Have you guys uh, been baptized in the Spirit? No, we didn't even know it. Okay, you got it. Now they speak in tongues. You see that over and over and over again. And then number two, the one who is speaking in tongues is speaking languages they have never learned. Okay. Now, let's go into the purpose of speaking in tongues. Let's go to the purpose. The purpose of speaking in tongues, we're going to go over each passage now. The first purpose is a sign to unbelievers. Okay? So Mark 16 says it's going to be a sign, but doesn't go into much depth. So we need to now go to the place that talks about it in most depth. Well, where does it talk about it in the most depth being a sign? That's in 1 Corinthians 14.22. It says, tongues then are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Okay? So how... Is tongues a sign to unbelievers? Well, if you go to Gordon Fee in his commentary on 1 Corinthians, he says, A sign in the Old Testament meant an expression of God's attitude, something signifying to Israel either his approval or disapproval. So tongues now, when it's being spoken and unbelievers hear it, are going to give them a sign of disapproval or approval from God. That's what a sign is supposed to do. It's supposed to give them approval or disapproval from God. Okay? Well, let's keep going. Now, specifically dealing with tongues, Gordon Fee says, Tongues are unintelligible. Unbelievers receive no revelation from God. They cannot be brought to faith. Thus, by their response of seeing the work of the Spirit as madness, they are destined for divine judgment. So how do tongues become a sign to unbelievers according to 1 Corinthians? They will think you are mad. That's what he said. They will come into your meeting, hear you speaking in tongues, and they'll think you're crazy. Now how is that a sign to them? It's a sign 
that they're not in the inner circle. It's a sign to them that they don't get what's going on. It's a sign to them that there's a group of people who are in the inner circle who are having a static uh, personal encounters with God, and they are not. In that same passage in Corinthians, it talks about prophecy now revealing their heart, and thus prophecy is a better sign to the unbeliever because it can then bring them to repentance. But nonetheless... He still calls tongues a sign to unbelievers. So when believers get together and we speak in tongues and people don't understand us and they think we're mad, according to Paul, that is a sign, and I believe that is a sign of judgment. So it's a sign to unbelievers. So what is the purpose of all of us getting together and speaking in tongues? To show the unbeliever they don't have what we have, they are under God's judgment and should want what we have so they can get into the inner circle. That is what is going on there. <clears throat> Number two, it's declaring the wonders of God. Okay, so now if we were to understand these tongues, what would these tongues be doing? Well, we go to Acts chapter 2, the only place where the tongues are actually understood without a spiritual gift of interpreting and we see what they're saying. In Acts chapter 2, it says that they're, de- uh, excuse me, we hear them declaring the mysteries of God in our own language. Acts 2.11. So it is declaring the wonders of God. But these people didn't need a spiritual interpreter because it was in their known language. But is it always in their known language? No, it's not. Because you look at 1 Corinthians 14.2, For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. Well, hold on. I thought we were always supposed to understand it. No, 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 no. There's times when this gift is being used where it's not a known language to anybody in the room. And yet it's glorifying God, and it's meant to be done publicly so others hear not to understand, but to have divine judgment on them. So we don't have time to get to the objections quite yet, but keep following me here. So it declares the wonders of God. Now go to 1 Corinthians 14, 15 through 17. What shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I'll also pray with my understanding. I'll sing with my spirit, but I'll also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving? Since then, they do not know what you are saying. You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. So the Bible says that when we're speaking in tongues and the Christian hears it, and they don't understand it, they can't say amen to it. But it doesn't mean you're not giving thanks to God. And somehow we've gotten to the point where we think that it's wrong to do it unless everybody understands it. But that's not correct. only thing, Paul, is you're going to see next is that when people understand it with the spiritual gift, it's better for the church. But it doesn't mean you still can't do it by yourself 
to speak those mysteries to God that no one understands. And you're giving thanks to God because what you're going to see is that it also edifies you when you're speaking in those tongues, as well as a sign to the unbeliever. Let's go to number three. It edifies the church. So now we see in 1 Corinthians 14.5 that tongues is not just for unbelievers, but it's for the church so long as it is interpreted. This is what he says. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is is the one who's great who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be edified. So speaking in tongues plus interpretation equals prophecy. Does everybody get that? Speaking in tongues plus interpretation equals prophecy. Because now what does it do? It edifies the church. And so literally, what are we supposed to do in church services? We are to pray that we interpret our tongues so that it can become prophecy to the people around us. We should pray that we could interpret the thanksgiving we're giving and the wonders we're declaring so that others will be built up. That's what that word means. So for those of you who are saying, I don't have the gift of interpretation or prophecy, but I seem to have the gift of tongues. You don't understand. You have the gift of interpretation because you have the tongue. That means you can pray to interpret your very tongue. You can pray to interpret your very tongue. Now, sometimes we in the Pentecostal circles feel that when someone's going to give a tongue with an interpretation, now it's going to be a different type of tongue. So they're praying... Ba 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 in their normal language. But now when that interpretation to tongue comes, now they're gonna be like, It's a different tongue. Now that may be so, and that's okay. But you don't need to have a different tongue from the one you normally speak in to interpret. So today, all of us who are speaking in tongues, we're being a sign to the unbeliever. People are looking at us like we're mad. And it shows divine judgment on them. They don't have what we have. Number two, by speaking in tongues, we're giving thanks to God. Singing in tongues, we're giving thanks to God, which is awesome, which you should do all the time. The Bible says do that without ceasing. And then thirdly, when you're speaking in those tongues, you should be able, and I can, just ask the Lord and say, God, what am I saying? And the Lord could put in your heart simple verses. What you're saying. Thanks be to God who created us. He is great and glorious. Thanks be to God. He is great and glorious. What you just come up here and say, God has put on my heart to tell you, thanks be to God. He is great and glorious. Let that encourage everybody here. Because that's what it's meant to do when you're in the church. It's just to interpret it so that other people can get it. Now, once again, if this was only a known language, then we would need nobody with the spiritual gift of interpretation. But... It needs that gift, not only for yourself, but for others. And then lastly, what does speaking in tongues do? Speaking in tongues edifies the believer. So not only do I edify the church, but I'm edifying myself. 1 Corinthians 4.2 says this, For anyone who speaks in a tongue, 14.2 rather, does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries. And then in verse 4, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. 
So I'm actually edifying myself while speaking in that tongue. So do you see all that's going on? Speaking in tongues, blah, 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 sign to unbelievers. Speaking in tongues, blah, 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 I'm declaring to God the wonders. Speaking in tongues, blah, 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 I'm edifying myself. Speaking in tongues, blah, 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 God, give me the interpretation. Let me now edify the church. All of that is happening. It happened every time the Holy Spirit came in the New Testament. Every time. Happened in Acts 2, happened in Acts 10, happened in Acts 19, and was constantly being used in Corinthians, hence the reason for the letter and the corrective nature of the letter. The problem wasn't they were doing it too much. Uh, the problem was that they didn't know how to use it. That was the problem. It wasn't they were doing it too much. He, as a matter of fact, said, don't forbid it. And then he says in the middle of it, I speak in tongues more than all of you. So the problem wasn't, how much they did it. The problem was how they were doing it. And we'll get into that in just a moment. Let's get excited, amen? Now, the continuation. There were three points in the main point. The description, and we learned that it's a sign, and it's an unknown language. The second thing is that we just talked about what is the purpose of it. It's a sign to the unbelievers. It declares the wonders of God. It edifies the church. It edifies the believer. Everybody with me? Now, thirdly, does it endure to the, to the present time? Mark 16, 15 to 20, gives no end to it and couples it with preaching. So is preaching enduring to the end times? Then so do the signs endure to the end times. Someone would have to show that these signs will follow those who believe for 200 years, and then these signs will not follow those who believe for the next 1,800 years. And it doesn't say that. It says these signs follow those who believe. So are we preaching the gospel? Yes. Are we believing? Yes. So these signs should still be following. Going into Acts chapter 2, the words that Paul, uh, Peter uses by the Holy Spirit are not coincidental, but are led by the Holy Spirit. The quotation of Joel, that it shall be poured upon your sons and daughters, is now taking away uh, the, the male-led uh, Jewish religion and now giving it to women for equality of the Holy Spirit and the giftings. And then lastly, when he says, and it shall be poured out from, for all people, as many who call upon the name of the Lord, puts it now upon every race, tribe, tongue, and kindred. So now is it not only genderless, but it is now raceless, classless. It is for as many who call upon the name of the Lord. So are people today still calling upon the name of the Lord? Then the same experience of Acts 2 will come upon you. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will receive that same experience. Then we see in 1 Corinthians 12-14, do we see anything that says that these things will end? We will address the 1 Corinthians 13, tongues will cease, knowledge will cease, prophecy will cease, and our objections. But is there anything in the church age unto them that's given to them as a directive, this will end? This will be taken away. Get ready, guys. You're only going to have it for a certain while. Those who are reading this letter later in life, Remember, this was only for the Corinthians. It's not for you. No, does he make any mention of that? No. As a matter of fact, some of the things I've already mentioned are there. He says in 1 Corinthians 14.39, do not forbid speaking in tongues. That means speaking in tongues would continue, and we were not to forbid it. So shame on anyone who forbids speaking in tongues. Shame on you. 
You ought to be ashamed of yourself. They ought to be. In the name of Jesus, to forbid speaking in tongues, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Any church that forbids speaking in tongues should be ashamed of themselves. Any Bible college, any organization that forbids it should be ashamed of themselves. They should know better. Amen? Those were all under points number one. Point number two is the argument and rebuttal section. And I'm going to give you some objections here really quick. Some people say that our numbers don't prove our point. We grow faster, eight times faster than the rate of birth, spirit-filled Christians. Do our 200 million-plus spirit-filled Christians by denomination and over 500 million spirit-filled Christians by experience in all denominations. We are the largest Protestant group on the planet. We are larger than most of them combined, if not all of them combined. Amen? Some people would say that those numbers don't prove anything. The first point is, is that we're not trying to prove anything by the numbers. But we're giving the skeptic a tree to judge our fruit by. So they may judge the speaking in tongues tree pretty easily by looking at the 500 million. And what do you see? Nations being changed. China, Brazil, South Korea, monumental change in Africa, Nigeria, um, uh, one of the most Christian nations, Uganda, Uganda, one of the most Christian nations today on the globe with a Christian president, baptized in the Holy Spirit, making laws against homosexuality still to this day. And when the Christians from, from America tell them, you're being too harsh, he said, your founding fathers did the same thing, Bubba. Read your constitution. I mean, read your, your laws of your own states. They used to do this as well. So these nations are being transformed by speaking in tongues people. So there's plenty of fruit. It doesn't prove that the doctrine is right, but their fruit does. Because the Bible says you'll know a good tree by the good fruit. It bears a bad fruit. So we're not proving it by the numbers. We're just saying, check the tree, Bubba. And if, if the fruit is good, that means the root is good. And so the Bible colleges, the sound doctrine, we do promote the Trinity. We do promote the atonement of Christ by faith, the, the uh, Reformation-style gospel. And so if we're not doing it right, then nobody else is. The only difference is we have some nitrous oxide in our tank, and we're hitting it all the time. Amen? <laughs> Praise God. So our gospel is not incorrect. Our gospel is correct, and the fruit of it is there to be judged. The second objection is this uh, passage in Mark 16. Uh, it has been believed by many uh, scholars not to be a legitimate passage of the New Testament because it's not found in certain manuscripts. Well, not to get in depth into this, but to give you a summary, the bottom line is, is that it had to come from somewhere. And it had to have good evidence to be received at some time. Your choice is one of three options. You can reject it as neither Mark's writing nor biblical, which is too extreme for me. Number two, you could accept it as Mark's writing, but only kept in certain ways, certain manuscripts. Or number three, it's not Mark's writing, but it was true that Jesus said those things, and they put it with Mark because Mark was missing an ending. So I see my time is up. I don't have time to get into more objections. But there are scholars who debate what Mark's ending really is. And so today, I choose to believe 
one of the two options, which is it is either Mark's writings, but it was lost by the earlier manuscripts and was held by the older manuscripts, or it was not Mark's writing, but was similar to John chapter 8, the woman in adultery, which we know was a biblical account and was uh, put into John to keep that account, but not necessarily John's writing. I believe the same thing of Mark. So Mark gets beat up a lot by the non Spirit-filled theologians because they don't want to accept it as true Bible, but I do, and there's good reason to. And there's many other scholars, not the majority, but enough to be many to support that same thing, that we shouldn't just throw it out. Okay? So I'll get into more of the objections next Sunday school, but I wanted to give that, that for you to chew on. Now here's the application as I see people lining up out there. Here's the application. Every service we should speak in tongues and be proud of it. If people wonder and are confused, it's a sign to them of judgment, and they should come and seek God and know the God who gives us that gift. Number two, and you're going to love this. Uh, now, you should have been here, brother. It was all for you. Next time, come to third Sunday. I'm going to finish this up, okay? It was all on speaking in tongues. I wrote a whole paper on it. As a matter of fact, Josh, print out that paper and give it to Ken today, today, at the end of service. Ken, would you say for us to give that to you at the end of service? Okay, find him. Give it to him. Let's do it and not be ashamed that it's a sign to other believers because they think we're mad. That's what Paul said it's supposed to do. Declare your praises to God. And then the second thing is pray that you would interpret it and let it come out as prophecy. It may be coming out as prophecy. It may be coming out as declaring God's wonders. <clears throat> Excuse me. And you may be thinking to yourself, this sounds so weird. This sounds so strange. I, I don't know if this makes any sense. My friends, it doesn't have to make sense to you. It didn't make sense to Paul. When I speak in German, or when, when, when uh, uh, Monica speaks in German, it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't have to. See, it's for her to praise God. All the German people, when they do that, they're praising God in that language. Now, here's the only difference. And when you speak in tongues, <clears throat> the only one who understands is God. And you might say, why, 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 why would he do that? Go back to the Bible to edify yourself. It's a spiritual process. It's a spiritual gift. Now, if you want to go beyond that, say, why does God want to edify me that way, not me eating Cheerios in the morning and my, my Grundy undies? Why doesn't he edify me that way? Okay, well, then you can go and talk to God when you're in heaven why he chooses to edify you that way. If he chose to edify you by spinning on your head and put it in the Holy Scripture, then I suggest you do it because he's the God of the universe. That's what he asked you to do. And the Bible does say it's a step of faith because Paul even said, that he doesn't understand what he's saying. So if the Apostle Paul said, I pray with my understanding, I pray with my spirit, because I don't understand either or, it's okay for you not to understand. But then what else did he say? I speak in tongues more than y'all, shakalaka. What did he say? Come on, everybody stand up, amen? When we open these doors, I want you to bum rush them and just hug them and hold them, amen? Father, bless us today. Help us to speak in tongues and not be afraid. And help those who don't understand it just to study it along with us. Lord, we're not here to put them down or say they're not saved. We're just here, God, to experience you in the way you told us to in the Bible. And, God, if we don't look to the Bible for our experiences, uh, then we ought not to look to the Bible for our morals and all of those other things. But since we do, God, we trust you in this. And, God, I can testify that uh, by speaking in tongues, uh, people in the Indian language have heard me.
Speaking in tongues, I've given prophecy, and it's directly transformed people's lives. And speaking in tongues has edified me many times in, in dark hours when I didn't have the faith to go on. Speaking in tongues uh, built my holy faith, as it says in Jude. So I pray those experiences follow every believer here. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Slap your neighbor high five and go, Starts your engines.